Excuse me. When we think about all the important things in life, the most relevant of all topics in our journey, the most important lessons to pass on, I think about the subject called prayer. Prayer. I've come to the conclusion that I should share a part of my journey. This is going to be a little bit different message than the typical message that you hear from me. But I want to share this morning part of my journey in dealing with this life-changing subject in my life personally, yeah, the subject of prayer. Now, I'm not an expert in prayer. I'm not a spiritual giant. I don't have calluses on my knees because I spend hours and hours a day in prayer. And after 37 years of ministry, I probably still have more questions than answers, but that's okay. We're all on this journey to discover the power of prayer. Most of you know the biblical foundation of the theology and the importance of prayer. We've talked about that in our connect groups last spring. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. But I'd like to share part of my journey of prayer as I discovered during my life and in particularly in, in ministry contexts that I have had the privilege to work. Now when I think about prayer, I think it all started for me in Wednesday night prayer meetings when I was eight or nine years old. I remember kneeling on a hardwood floor with my arms and my head kind of cushioned on a hardwood bench called a pew and listening to the adults in the sanctuary call out to God while I was struggling to stay awake. That's probably my earliest recollection, but I remember the passion and the belief that what they were saying was heard by a living God. Fast forward to graduating from high school and after one year of college, I had the opportunity to travel and play trumpet with a gospel music called Truth. And we did about 400 some concerts a year that year. And every one of those concerts, before those concerts, we would spend about 60 minutes praying. And our prayer was that somehow through the ministry of music, through the music and the message, people's lives would be transformed, that people would come to a new awareness of, of the reality of Jesus Christ, and they would give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Prayer, a passion for prayer. Well, I, I brought that passion for prayer with me in my, my second year of college when I was um, I was introduced to my first ministry position. I was the director of youth and music at a church, a local church where I was going to school in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And as our leadership team, we had, we had two of us that were paid $50 a month and two volunteers working in ministry. And we didn't know what we were doing. I was 20 years old. What did I know about ministry? And so we said, we, we have to find out what to do. So we met every Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday night at nine o'clock for an hour and prayed. We said, we gotta ask God. And the most remarkable things begin to happen. The, the youth group grew from about 12 to about 50 kids. We had 75 to 80 that would come to our activities. There were kids coming out of the word. We didn't know where they were coming from. We didn't know what we were doing, but the only thing that we could attribute any success in ministry was to the fact that we we're praying. It was all about prayer. 
I tried to keep that lesson in the forefront as in 1981, Judy and I, newly married, entered the, the ministry full-time, my first ministry position in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. My senior pastor had, was also pretty young, just a little older than I was, and, and uh, he had been there three months when we came, out, came along and, and joined. And we took some time, and I remember the excitement at which we took the time on a retreat, this pastor and I, to discover and articulate the purpose of the church. So what, what is this all about? What is a church for? Why are we doing this with our life? And we are looking at church growth principles and that we're at the cutting edge of ministry. And, and as a result, we established all kinds of things in the church and we were busy. We were very busy. But we were also spinning our wheels. There was nothing tangible that was happening. And then I watched as God began to work in the life of my senior pastor. And he convicted him of being a prayerless pastor. Sounds kind of ironic, doesn't it? Isn't the pastor supposed to pray? Yeah, you pray at mealtime, you pray uh, before service, you pray there. But he was not spending significant amount of time. And God convicted him about being a prayerless pastor. God spoke to him and said, if you will give me your mornings, make prayer a priority, I will do immeasurably more than you can imagine or even think. But if you continue your present course, you will be destined for mediocrity the rest of your life. I was in that service the next Sunday morning when my senior pastor confessed to the congregation that he was a prayerless pastor. And he called the church to prayer. He wasn't one to do things halfway. So he said, we're going to have prayer meetings. And so Monday through Friday, every Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 was a prayer meeting in the morning. And at 12 to 1, noon was a prayer meeting. Now, the transformation in my senior pastor was instantaneous. His passion, his preaching, he had authority. He had obviously been with God. So when he stepped up and he spoke to us, he came from being with God. He was no longer a prayerless pastor. And I remember that first prayer meeting, we were wondering what was going to happen. He said, we're going to start these prayer meetings. 75 people showed up at that first early morning prayer. And it had a permeative effect and an enormous impact on the congregation. The presence of God in services, we began to see rapid growth, people getting saved, significant miracles of healing and deliverance. People began to line up 45 minutes to an hour before the next service because they wanted to come in and have a seat. Now, we had changed nothing else. Same staff, same building, same program, same everything. The only thing that was different was prayer. We were praying. Was this revival? I don't know. I know we experienced revival. It was anew. It was, the church was renewed. We experienced life in a way not seen before in that particular church. Well, after three years in Cedar Rapids, I felt compelled to be a senior pastor and to replicate the vision in Cedar Rapids, from Cedar Rapids. And Judy and I had a two-year stop in Seattle first. But then in November of 1986, I became the senior pastor. It's actually the only pastor at Church of Lakewood in Tacoma. It was a six-year-old church plant with 70 people. Now, in spite of my experience uh, in Cedar Rapids with prayer, I was still enamored with church growth. See, in the 80s, the predominant philosophy, and some of you remember this, 
predominant philosophy of ministry was church growth. And in the 90s, we all went to the seeker-sensitive model, the Willow Creek church model. And in 2000, we were all encouraged to do ministry on purpose. It was the purpose-driven church. And so we did that. And later, of course, the emergent church came in into vogue, and it was the newest thing, and you paint the walls and ceilings black, turn down the lights, and worship with indie rock and candlelight. Okay? This is all, these are all the trends that were part of the culture back then. Now, all of these principles, all of these things had things to teach us. They had application to our ministry, but there's something about human nature that always leads us to methods so we can somehow plan and quantify and measure our success. Then, of course, you can take credit for the results. When we went down to Lakewood, something very providential happened. God allowed some circumstances to re-educate me as to the nature of the fight we were in. See, the battle is in the heavenlies. And on the first Saturday night before my first Sunday at Church of Lakewood, I was awakened between three and 4 a.m. with this incredible sense of evil and danger. And I don't know what your theology is. I grew up in Japan and, and uh, as a son of missionaries. And we were exposed to this darkness and this evil presence of, of an entire country dominated by, by false religion and by the evil of satanic influence. And so there was this, this awareness that I grew up with of, of satanic influence and, and, the, and satanic power. Growing up around that, I, I, I grew in an awareness of something called spiritual warfare. And, and I don't know why, why it happened to me, but basically there was this, this sense of evil when it came into the room or was it anywhere around. You can read about this in Ephesians 6. Well, as I woke up this morning at 3, I had this sense of, of, of evil and danger, this, this, this awareness, this fear. It was almost terror of this spiritual attack. And, and so I recognized it, jumped out of bed, walked through the house, and began to pray. And after about five minutes or so, the sense of evil dissipated and there was peace, and so I went back to bed. The next Saturday, 3 a.m., the same time it happened again. The sense of evil and, and danger that was there. I thought, what are the chances? Again, I got up and prayed, and I countered the attack, and it left. The third Saturday night again, and the fourth, and I finally said, there's a pattern here, okay? Something's going on. I don't know what it is. Every Saturday night for six months, I was awakened at 3 a.m., with the presence of an evil something that was outside our house. The last time it happened, I got out of bed. Something was very different. My level of fear and alarm went off, off the charts. I felt absolute terror as I walked through the home praying, and I, I, was, I was looking at and feeling that something was desperately wrong. Whatever this evil force or danger had been, it was like it was multiplied a hundred times. I felt like this, this evil was going to come crashing through the front door or through our windows at any moment. I wondered, should I call 911? What do, what, do I, what do I say? I can't see anything. I just sense this evil presence coming at us. I walked around the house. I knelt and prayed in every area of the house. It wouldn't leave for over an hour. I called on the Lord. I pled the blood of Jesus. I quoted scriptures. Finally, after an hour and a half, suddenly, it was gone. And we had peace. I went back to bed in a cold sweat. 
And when I got up 30 minutes later, which was morning time, I told Judy what had happened, and I said to her, somebody is going to get saved today. Somebody's going to get saved today. We had had no conversions in the first six months. And sure enough, that morning, at the end of second service, I gave an invitation, and Rose Montez, a 30-something wife and mother, became our very first convert to Jesus Christ, one of many that would follow. Why this story? I was tempted to go back to church growth again. God knew that I needed to be reminded every Saturday night for six months to be reminded that the battle was in the heavenlies and I had better pray. Every part of this earth is contested territory. It says Satan roams to and fro all over the earth. And if we're going to do anything in the spiritual realm, we must pray. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 says this. For though we live in, in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Two weeks later, God led me to preach on prayer and call the congregation to prayer. Their response was overwhelmingly positive. And we moved into a time of Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. prayer meetings. I had no idea what to expect, but 28 people came to that first meeting, and we had 20 to 30 that came every single morning. Immediately, didn't take long, we noticed a new life and vitality in our worship services. People began to experience what I talked about, the presence of the Lord. New people would enter the, the worship service, and as soon as worship would start, people would begin weeping because they sensed something different. During ministry time, part of our worship service, we invite people forward to be prayed for, just like we do here occasionally. And people would come forward in our Leadership would say, how can I pray for you? So, oh, I, I came, I need, to, I need Jesus, I need to receive Jesus. There wasn't a sermon preached, there wasn't an invitation given. It was God bringing people ready to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. We experienced a dramatic influx of visitors and rapid growth. We didn't know where they were coming from. And you know, again, we were doing nothing different except praying, praying. I shared this story in one earlier message about the fact that the church was about one mile from South Tacoma Way, and all up, up and down South Tacoma Way, there were exotic dance clubs, adult bookstores, and prostitutes plying their trade everywhere. And I had activists in my congregation who had engaged in the past in picketing adult establishments. They wanted to call attention to what was going on. And they asked me if I could help them get the picketing going again. These were well-meaning, sincere Christians who really wanted to make a difference. And my response to them was, you know, if, if God leads you to pick it, go do it. But I believe that God has called us not to pick it. He's called us to prayer. To prayer. 
I said, we're going to pray. I said, we're going to pray for the exotic dancers. We're going to pray for the prostitutes. We're going to pray that somehow God cleans this area up. So pray we did. And over the next 12 months, two things happened. The first one, Pierce County Sheriff's Department started massive sweeps of prostitution in South Tacoma Way. And in two months, it was gone. Now, I'm, I'm sure we weren't the only people praying. But our people were very encouraged because they said, you know, we prayed. What we tried to do, picketing for 10 years, didn't do anything. But we prayed, and look what God did in two months. Then one Sunday, a couple with two young children came to the church. This is a part I shared with you before. I'd never seen them before. And they asked if they could come in to speak to me on Tuesday. And I'll never forget that Tuesday afternoon meeting as long as I live. They told me their story. She was an exotic dancer at one of the clubs in South Tacoma Way. And God began to speak to her and one of, one of the, her fellow dancers. And they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Then her husband came to Christ and then the children. She quickly came to the conclusion that her work was not compatible with her faith. So she quit. She, God delivered her and her fellow dancer from that lifestyle. It was an incredibly poignant teaching for the church for them to see that they had prayed and here is a tangible answer to their prayer. Lakewood was a hotbed of occultic and new age practices and I know we were not the only ones or the only church praying but I can only share what happened with our church. Was this revival? Not in the classic sense where you see thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But it was a move of God and effectiveness that we had not seen before. Now I wish I could tell you that everywhere we've been, it worked just like that. We called the church to prayer and they prayed and God moved and revived the church and wow, explosive. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. There's a reason. God knows that if it always worked a certain way, we would create a formula. We'd make a system. We'd write a book and we'd market it and take it on the road. That's what we'd do. But we, we can't put God in a box. There are principles that remain the same, but every church is in a different place and in a different season and in a different geography. Fast forward to year 2000. Judy and I accepted a call to an urban turnaround church in Seattle. In its heyday, this church had been this large church, but it had been declined for 20 years. In, immorality was rampant in the, in the leadership over the last 10 years of the church. Three out of the four of my predecessors had been involved in some kind of immoral behavior. I didn't know all of that when I went. In addition to this church history that was very dark and very unsafe. And let me just say, there are churches that go through these times. If that's your experience, it's not normal, it's not spiritual, and it, need to ch it needs to change. We had to come in to change that. In addition to that, the church was located in an area of Seattle that was the center of the, what was called the Women of Wisdom, which is a pagan cult. It was the center of the Wiccan movement. It was the center of the lesbian movement in Seattle. We had the Church of the Divine Man. We had the Rosicrucians. We had witchcraft and occultic centers. This area was known as a graveyard 
for the churches in Seattle. Needless to say, I had no idea what we were, what we were in for. We had no idea. And the church was dead, and it's full of lethargic, passive people. We thought, what do we do? What do we do with this? So in week three, we started a Saturday night pre- prayer meeting with three people, me, Judy, and a board member. We didn't advertise it because we needed spiritual warriors who were spiritually discerning. The darkness was thick. I'll never forget the first Saturday night prayer that we were in the sanctuary. This is a sanctuary of a church, and it felt like the demonic oppression could be cut. It was just dark, dark. Every Saturday night, we prayed, the three of us, met to intercede for the church. Then some college students from the Seattle Pacific University heard we were having a prayer meeting. They, they started coming and joining us, a couple of high school students. We finally had about eight to 10, then 12, 13, 14 people would come on Saturday nights. Now, I wish we could say that after two and a half years of Saturday night prayer, that heaven came down and we experienced revival, the church exploded. It didn't happen that way. But prayer sustained us through the most difficult and perilous first two years of the turnaround church. It was just plain hard work. Just plain hard work. We always like to talk about answered prayer and things that happen, but sometimes the seasons that we're in are different. Sometimes it's not answered prayer. Sometimes it's prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer. Every Every church has different seasons. Even communities have different seasons. They're, it's just like, just like uh, agricultural. You have the plowing season. When you break up the hard pan, prepare it for the seed. There's the planting season when the seeds are planted. Then there's the harvest. We love harvest. And we love to have harvest without all the other stuff. I love harvest time. Give me harvest time. And, and God enabled us to experience harvest time in two particularly different ministry contexts, and we thought it was going to always be harvest time. It's not always that way. We were in plowing season. God said, I'm going to teach you a new season of prayer. And it was tough. It was tough. But harvest time is future. It's, it's we're walking by faith. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Paul writes this, this passage of Scripture, It says, the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who watered is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, growth, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Prayer is critical during the plowing season. And some of you have been praying in the plowing season for a long time. Prayer is critical during the planting season. And prayer is critical during the harvest. I just love the harvest. The plowing, not so much. Galatians 6, 9, Paul said, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I know that when we look back on our time at Ballard that in Seattle, that plowing time, we know that something happened during that time. We felt 
God do some amazing things over that time. And the people that succeeded us, they're in the harvest time. Now there's a thriving church there that is going great guns. And we're excited to be able to look at that and say, we were there praying in the, in the plowing time. Then there was a planting, now a harvest. Churches and geographies are at different junctures all the time. Now, I don't know everything about the Eau Claire area. I do know that Eau Claire is the second, has the second highest level of drunkenness in the state of Wisconsin. That's just one indicator of struggles that people are going through. There's so much brokenness. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came to have that you may have life and have it abundantly. And we are called to deal with brokenness and to do spiritual warfare in the heavenlies to pray for those that need Jesus. And I'm not sure what season we're in right now. I sense we're getting close to harvest. I mean, there are some great things that God is doing. There's a brand new spirit here in this church. God is doing something. We're seeing people, we had, we had 20 some people come to Christ from the first, first part of the year in the spring till June. God is doing something here. He's transforming lives. But to go forward, we must pray. Now, I, I don't have the answer on exactly what that means. I, I don't have any direction to say we're gonna do prayer this way or that way. But I know that God has called many here Many people in this church have said, God is calling me. I, we're praying together as a couple in the mornings. God has called us to pray. Somebody said, I pray for you every Saturday night. Or somebody pray, prays for the church at this time, whatever it is. But the work will be done in prayer. And I, I want to do something today. This, this is a little different, too. Um, some of you say, you know, I, I'm not sure how to pray. And my mind wanders, I go to sleep, whatever, you know. It, it, it's just hard to concentrate. Um, we, we've come across, and this is not original with me, we've come across something, actually it's being, it was being taught to our children, as well as a group of adults were doing this last spring. Um, and I'm, we're just going to give you a tool this morning um, called prayer doodling. Prayer doodling. And I'm going to ask Nancy Olson if she'd come up and, and uh, talk to us about that. She's going to share a little bit about it, and then there's going to, she's going to actually do a whole seminar on, on a Monday night coming up. So, Nancy. Good morning. Um, last spring, our Connect group got into prayer tutoring. Lisa Seibel found some things online, and brought it to our group, and we said, let's try it. So we got together, I think six or seven extra hours above our Connect Crew time to prayer doodle. I'm gonna give you some real basics today on what prayer tootling is, and then we're looking at a workshop in September where you can all come and actually do your own prayer doodles. First of all, if you are going to doodle while you pray, you do not have to be artistic. Far from it. Just shapes, squiggly lines, whatever. 
Prayer doodling, we found, helps you stay focused because you're not only praying to God, you're putting it on paper. So it helps you stay focused. And all of us know that there are times when we pray, our mind is wandering all over the place. We all decided it really helped us stay focused. So after Lisa got us doing this with our Connect group, I decided I wanted to do it with the Sunday school children. And it really was awesome to watch these children. I'm going to just show you some real brief ideas for prayer doodling. And you're going to hold for it. Yes, I it's, am. <laughs> it's kind of wobbly. When you prayer doodle, you can use a notebook, drawing paper, whatever works for you. The idea is you keep all your prayer doodles so you can go back and look at them, see if you need to add anything, check off prayers that have been answered. So when you doodle on your paper, the first thing you always want is the date so that you can go back and say, oh yeah, I did that a month ago, and look what God has done since then. Or you might pull out one of your doodles and go, oh, not much is happening here yet. Maybe I need to add a little bit more and pray a little harder. When I did it with the children, we had studied creation and nature. So we started out with God created. Every prayer doodle starts with God in the middle, a name for God, Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, whatever you want. For this one, I'm going to put God <coughs> created. Now, you can use lots of different colors. It's kind of fun to do different colors. I put a heart in the middle for God. You can do any kind of squiggly lines, designs, whatever. The thing is, as you're doing that, you are praying. So the kids all did their own, but we started out together with one, and we started out with trees. Now the children started saying, oh, trees give us wood and paper. They give us fruit. They give us nuts. They give us shade on a hot summer day. And as we were writing all these things, and you can go any way you want off this, I started watching the children. Some of them were whispering, oh, thank you, God. I like apple trees. Some of them were actually closing their eyes, bowing their head, and saying a little prayer. Then they went on to the next part of their doodle. For about 30 minutes, those young children were totally focused. One of the children said, oh, we have to do people. And again, however you want to do it, they started adding mom, 
they had brothers, sisters, friends. They had little arrows and squiggly lines coming all off their thing of people. And as they were doing it, they were praying. There was one girl that I was, it almost brought tears to my eyes. She started praying for her parents and thanking God that she had wonderful parents. So the children did all kinds of things. We did water. We did the sun and the moon and the stars, the light of God. The important thing is to date it so you know when you did this. Always start with God in the middle because everything stems from God and our prayers go back to God. Um, when we do our workshop next month, <clears throat> we will have paper and markers for you. We'll give you handouts and we'll give you a lot of ideas. You can do doodling for any type of prayer you can think of. A very personal prayer, prayer for the church, for our pastors, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of repentance, but it's you and God. God is the focus. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Nancy, as you can tell, um, spent about 30 years as a professional educator, administrator, and a great teacher. So it's exciting. She's, she's done a, doing a marvelous job with our children's ministry, and uh, we're very fortunate. Um, as I said, this is a little bit different than, um, uh, than normal. Um, I think that one of the things that, uh, and I, I forgot to do the last two blanks, uh, in the first service. The first one is, is um, answered prayer. The next one is prevailing prayer. Uh, the third one is percentage prayer of involvement. Um, it makes a difference how many of us are involved, no matter what it is, in whatever possibility. And the permeative effect, that's the last P on the permeative effect, talking about the difference. Everybody can be involved. And whether you uh, find a tool like, like prayer doodling or find a group of people, one of the exciting things that we've had, yeah, especially when, as we went to connect groups, every connect group meeting includes prayer. Um, we pray for your prayer requests every uh, Monday morning as a staff. And so there are all kinds of things, but, but please, if you can, take time to pray and seek God and say, God, how is it that you want me to be involved Everybody can pray. Everybody can pray. And so if we had 100%, you can imagine the kind of difference that would, that would make uh, in our church. Um, that's, that's all I'm going to share about our story uh, this morning. I'd, I'd like us to just bow our heads now as we pray right now. Father, we thank you that you our God who hears prayer and answers prayer. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would envision us how to pray and in what season we're in and, and what to expect. God, build in us expectancy. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, as we move to this time of communion now, that you, Lord Jesus, would again change our lives, transform our hearts.
that we would leave different because we were here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.